Coming up, the NFL season has passed the other side of the mountain and is now well into the second half of the season. But I'll say this, it has been anything less than stellar up until this point. I'll explain why later on, as well as give you my winners and losers of NFL Week 10. Oklahoma Sooners, another team that could kiss their college football playoff chances goodbye. I'll recap the weekend that was in the college circuit and tell you who may possibly be in the running for the Final Four and make it to New Year's Eve. I'll get into that, as well as everything that's happening on the ice, everything that's happening on the hardwood, even college basketball. You've come to the right place to listen to it all. I'll have it for you momentarily, but first, this message. Hey, everybody. Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a longtime listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms, on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people. To generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I could flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Reels Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits as we're in the Ides of November. Already 10 days away from Thanksgiving. Weren't we just discussing Halloween, which seemed like it was 20 minutes ago? Well, either way, we're steamrolling toward the holiday season, and here to spread some early holiday sports spirit is none other than your trusted little podcast host as this is the J Reels Podcast. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me for now 224 episodes, I welcome you guys and gals back. It is a Monday, November the 15th, in the year of our Lord, 2021, the J Reels What's the Deal segment. What's expected on this podcast is as follows. 
college football. We can scratch Oklahoma as another team that's kissed their college football playoff chances goodbye. I'll recap a rather quiet week in the sport, and I'll update as to who's looking good and who may sneak into the top four before it's all said and done. The NBA, actually kind of quiet. I know earlier this week, Nikola Jokic hitting Markeith Morris caused a little bit of stir on Twitter between Jokic's brothers and the Morris brothers. Is that anything to really get into? That's how quiet the association has been, but I'll get into that as well as everything that's happening on the ice. Also, some college basketball as it tipped off this past week. You know I got you guys covered. I'll have all that including my hero and zero of the week. Just a quick housekeeping note. Throughout the course of this podcast, and I know it may be irritating, you may not even notice it to this point, but I do have a vent that's pushing through some heat as it's a very chilly morning here in the Northeast as it's about 41 degrees with a wind chill of about 36. So hopefully that background noise, it's a little ambient, maybe it'll even put you to sleep, but with my voice, you know it's going to keep you wide awake. But just apologize ahead of time for that. Uh, There isn't any reason or any way that I could get that shut off or shut down. So I appreciate you not only taking the time to listen to what it is I have to say, but also having to deal with that. But hopefully my voice comes through loud and clear and you could hear me perfectly, even with the little ambient white noise in the background. But I've been watching NFL football since 1976. And I understand last year was a strange year. We don't need to get into it. We don't need to dissect what 2020 was all about. But I have to say that As we're now past, or just about past week 10 in an NFL season, which was deemed the biggest season ever, of course, the 17-game season, the marketing before the start of the year, the shield, everything that the sport represents. But I have to say, to this point, it has been, I'm not going to say a dud, I'm not going to say a disaster, but it has certainly fallen short of the expectations of a lot of fans, including yours truly, and I may be in the minority when it comes to that, and I can understand But if you do not gamble, or if you're not into fantasy football, this season cries out for wanting to have more. It has been underwhelming. It hasn't been exciting. There hasn't been a signature game so far in this season. I mean, when you look at the schedule to this point, the Tampa Bay-New England game, everybody much ballyhooed and rightfully so, but that wasn't a good game. Wasn't even anything close to that. Yes, it came down to the final seconds. I know you had Nick Folk missing the field goal toward the end but at the same time it wasn't anything that had you at the edge of your seat or the drama was building so much to where it was one of the games of the year we can go back to some of the games early on whether it's the Ravens and the Chiefs that Monday night where the Ravens will finally get the piano off their back and beating the Chiefs especially with Lamar Jackson at the helm we could also look at the Monday night between the Colts and the Ravens where they came back from 18 points down The Dallas-New England game up in Foxborough, which went to overtime, which was a very good game. But is it one that's going to stick out to say, ah, that is the game of the year? You haven't really had that type of game so far. And I'm not trying to say that every week you have to have a marquee or three or four marquee games. The one that comes to mind is the Thursday night game a few weeks ago between Green Bay and Arizona. Yes, it came down to the wire. Yes, the interception there at the end, Kyler Murray, where A.J. Green ran the wrong route. And Green Bay, Arizona, a team that was undefeated at the time, where Green Bay was, I believe, 6-1. and one. And you could look at that as maybe being the game of the year. But is that one that's going to really stick out of your craw and think to say, aha, that's it? You haven't had that type of season to date. And 
again, I'm not trying to sit here to tell you that, oh, every week has to have three or four marquee games, or every game has to be down to the wire. Of course, you're going to have weeks where it's dead, weeks that it's quiet. Yes, you're going to have your upsets. You're going to have moments in the season where you're going to look at it and say, man, that was a crazy week, or that was an unexpected Sunday that certainly came out of nowhere. You're going to have a handful of games like that. But overall, and again, if you're not the gambler or the fantasy footballer, and you know yours truly, I'll be a Yankee fan before I play fantasy football, and that says it all. doesn't say a lot. That is underlined 5,000 times. This is a season that has fallen way short of my expectations. And not that I was expecting fireworks. If anything, you've gotten worse news off the field, whether you're the Washington football team, the Las Vegas Raiders, do we even need to go down that route? Some of the other things that have come out throughout the course of the regular season that, again, with everything that's happened to this league, and it seems by the day either somebody's getting in trouble or somebody's being arrested or whatever it may be. In my estimation, it's a season that hasn't delivered. Let's see what the last eight weeks has in store. Hopefully the tune will be changed this coming week. And when you look at the game tonight, which will wrap up week 10 in the National Football League, you have the Rams going up the coast to play the 49ers, in which you'll see Odell Beckham Jr. A lot of the reports have it that he may be returning punts tonight, but you would think that he's going to be in the lineup maybe more as a decoy because Robert Woods, their other number two receiver, tore his ACL, so he's gone for the season. So you would think there's going to be a little bit more responsibility in the playbook for one Odell Beckham Jr., who, as we have seen, fell out of favor in Cleveland, wasn't running routes properly, and he's going to have to be on point here because not to say that this is going to be his last chance in the NFL, but as far as getting that big payday, that next payday, as he just turned 29 years old, if he doesn't deliver here with some, not going to say some monster games or games that's going to really stand out in the score sheet, but he's going to have to produce and be that number one guy or close to it in order for not only the Rams to get to a Super Bowl, because as we all know, they have pushed their chips to the middle of the table. And this was even before this trade. This was even before the Von Miller trade. Them going out to Detroit and bringing in Matthew Stafford was pretty much the end-all, be-all for this Rams season. So they go up the coast to play the Niners tonight in a, I understand, division game, and the Niners will probably be up for it. But it's not one that's going to get the juices flowing if you're just the casual or even diehard fan because the Niners have fallen on hard times. They have not had a good year. And the Rams, you would think, they'll bounce back from that Sunday night disaster last week against Tennessee. Winner number one has to go to the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think for the first time this year, I've even mentioned that because, as we know to this point, they have not had a great season. They have stubbed their toe on several occasions throughout the course of these first nine games to where they pretty much shot themselves in the foot offensively. Patrick Mahomes hasn't seemed to get that big connection with Tyreek Hill. Well, that changed yesterday to a certain extent. Even Travis Kelsey finally had over 100 yards when it comes to receiving. Patrick Mahomes, five touchdowns, over 400 yards. Just a huge night for the Kansas City Chiefs. And who knows if this gets their season on track to the point where we'll see a semblance of the old Kansas City offense because the defense we know is severely compromised. It's not a good defense at all. 
But we know if they're going to go deep into January, it's going to be their offense that carries them to the end of the day. And for last night, in the desert, against the Las Vegas Raiders, a division game on the road in which they had five division games going into that matchup last night. Remember, they lost to the Chargers at home earlier this year. So for them to get this win and to win big, I'm sure it's going to boost their psyche, get their confidence and their swag back up, as you heard Travis Kelsey in the postgame say that. Let's see if that's the case, but they are winners number one. Winner number two, I have to say it. It's the New England Patriots. Now, they started their season two and four. They lost four games at home to start their year, and ever since then, they've won four in a row. They've gotten their season untracked, and they beat up a Browns team that who knows what you're going to get week in and week out from them because one week they look awful against Pittsburgh at home. Then they beat the Bengals in Cincinnati. They blew them out. And you figured, okay, maybe they're going to be on the mend. They're on the comeback. And then they lay a big, giant deuce at Gillette Stadium against the Patriots. But give them credit. Defensively, they play tough. Offensively, Mac Jones throwing touch passes left and right. I still need to see a little bit more with this Patriot team. A lot of people think that they're going to be flying under the radar right now to the point where they could be a dark horse in the AFC. Well, they still have to play the Bills, and I'm not sold on them 100%, but let's see how they perform against Buffalo in the weeks to come as they still have two matchups. But to this point, I'm sure they've been a surprise considering the way they started off their season, and here they are in the thick of the AFC East, obviously in the playoff picture for the conference. Give it up to Bill Belichick, Mac Jones, and the Patriots. As far as my losers of the week, I have to start off with what happened Thursday in Miami, the Baltimore Ravens. And I understand that they had a grueling overtime win against the Minnesota Vikings at home the Sunday before, and then just three days later or four days later, they had to go to South Florida to play a feisty Dolphin team who beat up on a <clears throat> a one-win Houston Texan team. And we all know that they're a wounded animal, but... Here it was, Thursday night. I thought it was going to be 38-10. If you heard the podcast last week where the Ravens were just going to steamroll them, you figured their offense would just do so much on the ground against that Dolphin defense. Well, yes, a team did score 10 points that night, but it was the Ravens to where the Dolphins were victorious 22-10 and put a crimp on the AFC North picture. And I'll get to that later on, even though we heard just a few minutes ago with the Browns not playing well in Foxborough. And with Pittsburgh and Detroit, one of the uglier games that you're going to see. And you know, I'll share my two cents on that later on. But right now, it's about the Ravens not being able to get a little bit of separation in the division and coming up way short in South Florida against the Dolphins. And then my other loser for the week has to go to the Denver Broncos. Only because they got themselves back in good position, winning in Dallas the week before. They were 5-4 and four in the AFC West, hotly contested. Right there, nose-to-nose with the Kansas City Chiefs, even the Las Vegas Raiders. But what happened at home against the Philadelphia Eagles, inexcusable. We understand Denver isn't going to be in it for the long haul. We feel that they're going to probably fall off and get back to their usual, let's say, 9-8, and 8-9, and 7-10, somewhere around there where the Denver Broncos will show their true colors. Yesterday was a game they had to have. They needed to keep pace, not only with the Chiefs, not knowing that the Chiefs were playing later that night against the Las Vegas Raiders, but also with the Chargers playing. And they've also have hit a little bit of a skid, the Chargers. This was a prime opportunity for the Broncos to 
really assert themselves, put themselves in better position in the AFC West. And what do they do? They came up lame. Teddy Bridgewater is a guy, as I've said time after time, he's not super impressive, but again, he's more of a game manager. He's a guy that's going to keep the game at bay. He's going to make some throws. He's not going to be spectacular or a guy that's going to put up gaudy numbers. But here was a game where he had to really put the team on his back and deliver them a victory, and they didn't do that. At 20-13, as they're deep in Eagle territory, they cough up the ball. Darius Slay goes back the other way, 83 yards for a fumble return, converted to pay dirt, and that pretty much sealed the deal for the Broncos yesterday, as I know that that's one game they're going to wish they're going to have back at the end of the year. So the Broncos are my second loser. I'm not going to throw in Arizona because they didn't have their quarterback or DeAndre Hopkins. And people could say, well, Jay Reels, what about Tampa? Tampa, they're due to lose a game. And who knows, maybe Washington was up for Tampa considering they lost to them in the wild card last year. I know that they had a big loss with Chase Young leaving the game with a torn ACL as it was reported later on. But I can't get on Tampa. They were due to have a stinker of a game, and you saw that there yesterday in Washington, and the same for Arizona. I can't get on them, even though Cam Newton is back, had a couple of TDs in his return, and he even said going off the field that he's back. That remains to be seen. Carolina's a team that may be a fringe playoff team. When you look at the bottom of the NFC, we've said time after time, it is very top-heavy when you're looking at the Rams, when you're looking at Green Bay, Arizona, Dallas, Tampa, so throw in two other teams that are going to get those final two spots in the NFC and away you go, where the flip side of that, the AFC is wide open. Right now you have people even on the Patriot bandwagon thinking that they can make a run and there's still eight weeks to go. Seven games if you're a Patriot fan. But with Tennessee, all right, they're eight and two, off and running. You think that they're going to be the favorites to be a one seed right now, but Baltimore, Kansas City, looks like they're going to be back in the mix. What are you going to get the rest out of the AFC North? Is it going to be Cincinnati going to take a step or two, considering that they've fallen a couple of pegs back? Pittsburgh, and you know I'm going to get to them at 5-3-1. The AFC East with Buffalo, New England. It's pretty much anybody's conference. And Tennessee, you know that they could put up a stinker or two. Just got to look back to the Jet game. What was it, week four, week five? When they weren't able to beat the Jets then. So Tennessee is not bulletproof to say the least. And as we go through these games. And there are a lot of bad ones. As evidenced from the very top of my monologue. When it comes to the NFL this week. And pretty much for the whole season. Do I really need to get into. Atlanta and Dallas. 43-3. Do I really need to get into Buffalo beating the Jets. 45-17. And I read about jet futility on defense, all the points that they've given up over the last few weeks, whether it was 54 to New England. And I re- Am I going to really get into that right now? Why waste my time? Green Bay and Seattle, that was a matchup that was highly anticipated where Russell Wilson was going to come back from that finger injury that he had suffered in about week four, week five. He wasn't able to do anything offensively. And pretty much for the same thing, Aaron Rodgers did not throw a touchdown in the game, had an interception. We know the controversy with he being immunized going back to late August and everything that entailed with his vaccination status and having to sit out because of COVID and 
here it was, a matchup in Lambeau where you thought it was going to be competitive, and it was for three quarters, where the score was 3 nothing going into the fourth quarter, and then the Packers pulled away, but that wasn't a game that is going to have you thinking at the end of the week or even at the end of the year is one to remember. We talked a little bit about Kansas City bouncing back the way they did with Las Vegas, and who knows, with the way Vegas and their season is starting to implode with all that's happened. John Gruden, who's now going to sue the NFL because he feels as if his privacy was violated and now being singled out with the email correspondence with former Washington football team executive Bruce Allen. So now he's not only suing the league, but he's also going to sue Goodell. How far that's going to go remains to be seen. But the bottom line is this. John Gruden shouldn't have said what he said, whether it was brought out or him being singled out by the New York Times or Wall Street Journal. What he said was what he said. And he can't erase that and he can't go back and even think to edit that. He stuck his foot in it. And he has to live and deal with the consequences. So when it comes to John Gruden, nobody wants to hear from him in that regard. Jacksonville and Indy, I know Jacksonville made a little bit of a comeback there, but Indianapolis prevailed, winning 23-17. You had a good game in Tennessee between the Saints and Titans, but the Titans were pretty much in control. I know the Saints tried to get the equalizer there at the end with 23-21. They tried to get a two-point conversion, which failed, which would have in all likelihood, pushed the game into overtime, but that didn't happen. So Tennessee hung on to win a big game for them because, as I mentioned, separation in the conference to where they don't even have to worry a little bit of breathing room for a week or two unless they happen to. And it wouldn't be a shock if Tennessee happens to lose next week and we'll look at the schedule in just a matter of moments to see what week 11 will have as we then get that much closer to Thanksgiving. The Vikings were at L.A. SoFi against the Chargers as they were able to hang on to win a 27-20 game and some controversy surrounding Dalvin Cook, who was involved in some off-the-field stuff, which, again, doesn't matter what happens in this league, how many players are in trouble, how many players are accused of whatever it is, off-the-field stuff, domestic stuff, go on down the line It's almost as if it gets swept under the rug and nobody even cares because, again, as I've said time after time, that shield is impenetrable. It has a few dings. It may even have a couple of bullet holes, but it doesn't go through because the league, nothing could go wrong no matter how off the rails the players, coaches, owners, whatever. The NFL reigns supreme. But you had the Vikings, and again, you can't trust them week in and week out. And the Chargers, it looks like they're hitting a little bit of a wall here with that great start that they had, and now that they've, I'm not going to say fallen on hard times here, it's a little strong, but the Chargers have lost a little bit of their fastball after their great start, and a lot of people thought that they could be a team to be reckoned with in the AFC, well right now, they can't even get out of their own way, and they'll have a home game which they're going to host Sunday night on NBC, which we'll get to when we go through the schedule next week, and then I have to spend a minute or two because... This game yesterday at Heinz Field is symbolic of everything that I discussed at the top, everything that I've discussed in the middle, and I'm going to put a black rose on top of Week 10, and that's not including the game tonight between the Rams and Niners, but if you watched, and I'm sure there was about 500 of you that did, 
the Lions at Heinz Field against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think the game finished about five minutes ago. Let's start there. The game was like watching a Major League Baseball game. A nine-inning game, which goes four hours. Well, I understand it went into overtime between these two teams, and it ended up in a tie, which is the worst thing that could have happened to the Steelers. I get that people will say, well, you didn't lose, and that could help down the road, but uh uh-uh. I saw this happen in 2018 where they were 9-6-1 and and they fell short of the playoffs. And I could see that happening again this year. And for someone like myself, which I'll get to later with the over-under numbers, who picked the Steelers at an over, this was a game that they had to win because I believe their number is 8.5. And And at 8.5, if they would have secured this game, you would have said to yourself, all right, I feel good for them winning three more games because their number was 8.5. But right now, I'm going to have to sweat to the end with... Seven games to go, and they're going to have to win four to get to that number, and it looks like they're going to fall short. But this game yesterday was an abomination. Not only was Ben Roethlisberger out due to COVID, and yes, although he's symptomatic, and that puts his team in jeopardy this coming week against the Chargers, and there I go, tipping off the Sunday night game for NBC, and that's one that I'm sure they wish they could flex out, although the Steelers, being a national team, it's going to bring eyeballs to the sets even with their putrid record and this terrible tie that they had yesterday on the heels of a game that they should have lost the week before to the Chicago Bears, and I'm not going to rehash that disaster. But yesterday was a game that you put in the vault, lock the key, and 1,000% forget about. Because when you look at it, the Steelers should have lost the game because the Lions had a missed extra point when they took the lead at 16-10 in the third quarter. And if it wasn't for that, the Steelers... Should have lost these two games at home to the dregs of the NFC North. And yesterday's game, like I mentioned, with Roethlisberger being out with COVID and him having to sit out, he has been vaccinated, but with his status of being symptomatic, they're going to have to take extra precaution, and who knows? It's not as if the game is going to be in Baltimore this week. It's not as if the game is going to be nearby Cincinnati to where it's a quick flight that he could jump on maybe Saturday night. No, the game is literally on the West Coast. Maybe because it's a Sunday night game, there could be a chance that if he passes both tests and if he doesn't fly out with the team Saturday, that maybe he could take a late flight Saturday night, a red eye, and go into SoFi Sunday morning or take the private jet out there Sunday morning to the West Coast. Who knows? But with that being said, Mason Rudolph is not the answer. He had just a... I can't even tell you how terrible he was. And I think about that play there at 16-10 when he underthrew. Looked like it was a ground ball or just a third baseman trying to get the ball over to first to where Ray Ray McLeod made the scoop. But as we all know, in the NFL, it's incomplete. And in the overtime, was just even worse. You had fumbles. You had penalties. You had just all types of nonsense. And it was a game that would never end. It was a game that was unwatchable. It was just as ugly of a football game that you could possibly imagine for a tie. Nothing was competitive. You even had a missed field goal in the overtime, which was short, in which the Lions would have put, did the Steelers a favor because it would have put them out the pasture, and that would have been just a, ugh, a bitter, ugly loss. But with the game ended the way they did as they get into line territory where the rookie Friar Moose fumbled the ball, uh And that goes on the heels of Deontay Johnson fumbling the ball in overtime. I tell you, this was a game that it just 
made my eyeballs bleed. There's nothing more to even discuss. And I'm going to leave it at that. When we look at the games next week, and that's the week before Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving games aren't great either. As we take a look at the slate, the Thursday night game is New England and Atlanta. And Atlanta, they're Jekyll and Hyde, as we saw yesterday. Three points at Jerry's World. Watch them go ahead and beat New England. And I wouldn't be surprised if New England gets beat here. Because as much as we could get on the high horse for the Patriots and think, oh, they've won four in a row. Oh, they played well. Oh, Atlanta. Even though they're at home, but they're probably not going to show up and watch the Falcons show up. But here it is. And just from reading the first three or four games, they're terrible. Baltimore, Chicago, Detroit at Cleveland, Indy at Buffalo, Houston at Tennessee, Miami at the Jets, New Orleans at Philadelphia, Houston at, uh, I'm saying Houston at Tennessee, Green Bay at Minnesota, Washington at Carolina, San Francisco at Jacksonville, Cincinnati at Vegas, eh, Dallas at KC, all right, and it's a 425 game, so you know that is already your game of the day, Arizona at Seattle, Pittsburgh at LA, as we already discussed, the Sunday night game. And then your Monday night game is the Giants at Tampa. Other than Dallas at Kansas City, and I'll give you Cincinnati at Vegas, give me another game that you're going to say, ooh, I can't wait to watch how that's going to unfold. You got nothing. Absolute zilch. Your buy teams are Denver and the LA Rams. But these games are from hunger. I can't even stress how terrible these games are. Houston at Tennessee? Miami at the Jets? San Francisco at Jacksonville? Detroit at Cleveland? Baltimore, Chicago? (laughs) Even New England, Atlanta? Obviously, you're going to see a million things about Super Bowl. Was it 51? We're going to have to relive that again with the 28-3 and the comeback. Oh, my God. That's just how terrible this NFL season has been. And terrible may be strong, but... I've had enough. I, I got to move on to other things because the NFL just has a bad stink around me and I've had enough talking about it. I don't know what it is. I didn't get up cranky people. I didn't get up with a vendetta to just try to put a curse or a hex or a reverse jinx on the NFL, but the season has just been subpar. And that's saying it nicely. I can't say terrible. I can't say disaster. That, that's way too strong, but it has not been good. So with that being said, let me turn my attention to college football because at least that's been intriguing because you've had teams fall by the wayside. You've had teams that have made it into the college football top four or somewhere near the vicinity of that, and you have another team that's going to say goodbye as far as any chance or any opportunity of making it to New Year's Eve for the college football Final Four, and that is the Oklahoma Sooners. And the Sooners... They were treading this water for quite some time. I know it was early on in the regular season to where they had games against Tulane, games against Nebraska, teams like that where they were on the precipice of losing, that they were that close to getting in the loss column. Even West Virginia was another game. Texas, remember they were down 28-7 before Caleb Williams came back and they had that miraculous comeback to where they won 55-48, I believe. And that happened to be on my wedding day, I might add. And Texas, they, speaking about Texas, did they have a brutal loss day the other day? I mean, nobody cares about the Longhorns right now, and I'm not going to get into that, but I know if you're a fan of the Longhorns, you got to be sick after what you saw there on Saturday. But as far as Oklahoma goes, Caleb Williams, as I mentioned, 
was awful in trying to muster any offense after the opening drive. They had to bring in Spencer Rattler, who was a guy that a lot of people thought could be in the running for the Heisman. Obviously, that's not going to be the case. But for them to have just a terrible performance against Baylor, and it was in their building, not Oklahoma's, they were at Baylor, to where at the very end, Baylor called a timeout. Their head coach, Dave Aranda, decided that he wanted to kick a field goal where he had fans streaming onto the field. They had to get the fans off the field. They had to kick the field goal at 24-14 to make it 27-14. And then in the postgame, the Oklahoma coach, Lincoln Riley, showed or expressed his displeasure at the thought of Baylor kicking that field goal there. He said it was gamesmanship. He said it was unprofessional. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. Did not like it. Thought it was Bush League. And what Aranda retorted was that when we look at the Big 12 and when it comes to tiebreakers, I wanted to make sure that the point differential was going to be into play. So by kicking that field goal there right at the end of the game was going to factor in if there were going to be any type of tiebreakers when it comes to the Big 12 title and having to cover that because that is the third tiebreaker when we break down the tiebreakers. But he wanted to make sure he had that in the bank and didn't have to worry about leaving those three points aside. I understand it. I get it if you're Dave Aranda, but you also have to ask yourself, who the hell is thinking that in the final seconds of a game? To me, that was just rubbing it in. To me, that was just sticking it to Oklahoma, finally putting them out of their misery. And Lincoln Riley has every right to feel the way he felt as far as Aranda going ahead and kicking that field goal at the end to where, again, they had to get the fans off the field. They had to just hang around there for an extra 10, 15 minutes, which was just a disgrace. And then they kick the field goal. They go off into the locker room. And you would think that's going to come back to Aranda. Watch them lose this upcoming week. Because when you do stuff like that, that's karma. It's going to come back to haunt you at some point. Watch next week to get blown out. And I'll take a look at the schedule in a minute. But that was the big game of the week to where you have another team that's not going to be representative of the college football Final Four. And then the other big game you had was Michigan and what they did at Happy Valley against the Nittany Lions to where they were down 17-14 there late to where Penn State actually took the lead midway through the fourth quarter. And then you're thinking, if you're a Wolverine fan, here we go again. Watch Michigan blow it here. We already know that they lost the week before, a couple weeks before to Michigan State, and there's no way that they could afford to get another L and then pretty much say goodbye to any chance of them making it to the college football Final Four. But they were able to pull it out thanks to Cade McNamara connecting to Eric All for the touchdown there, 47 yards with about three and a half minutes to go. And that was the go-ahead score, which led to seal the victory for Michigan so they could live to see another day. And that was pretty much your week in college football. Other than that, everything was pretty much status quo. Now, as we look ahead to this coming week, and I know this isn't the big week, it's the one after Thanksgiving week where you're going to have the big games, whether it's Alabama, Auburn, obviously Ohio State, Michigan. But as we take a peek at the schedule for which would be week 12 for college football as we get closer to the end of their regular season. Now, if Michigan is going to earn their spot to play against probably Wisconsin, maybe even Iowa, but you would think Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship, they're going to have a gauntlet here these next two weeks to where they have Michigan State coming into their building this week. We've already talked about Michigan, them having to go to the big house the week after. But first things first, 
that right there is your highlight game of the week because one of those two teams, you would think Michigan State could still control their own destiny by beating Ohio State, even though they had the loss the week before to Penn State. And if Ohio State wins, they'll live to see another week. And obviously, if they beat Michigan, you would think, for all intents and purposes, they'll go ahead and win the Big Ten Championship. But that's the one game that we're going to focus in on next week and truly dissect. Other than that, you don't have much as far as college football. You want to get crazy for Arkansas and Alabama? I'm not. You also want to get crazy for Wake Forest at Clemson? I'm not. Again, we're talking about teams that are going to be on the cusp or are at least going to be in the running for this college football Final Four. And as I see it, last week I picked out of the four teams, I did pick Cincinnati as the one team that would make it into the college football Final Four. But the more I've thought about it, and especially with the way Ohio State's playing, now if Ohio State were to lose, I think Cincinnati will have a better chance of making it to the Final Four. Because right now, it's going to be one of two scenarios. Alabama's going to have to lose. If they lose, then you may see Cincinnati in there. And if Ohio State does the same. Now, both of those teams lose. I understand you're going to have to take a team from the Big Ten that may be either Michigan or Michigan State, depending on what happens here in the coming weeks. But if Alabama and Ohio State are going to be there at the end of the day, I can't see Cincinnati squeaking in there, even if they are undefeated. And I know a lot of people are going to be wondering whether or not, A, Cincinnati deserves it, despite them being undefeated, and you would think for all intents and purposes that they will be going into mid-December or early December as an undefeated team, to where if, let's say, Georgia loses to Alabama, They'll have one loss. We already know Alabama has one loss. We know Ohio State has one loss. A lot of these teams already have a loss where Cincinnati's going to maybe the last team standing undefeated, and they may not even get a crack at the top five. As it is right now, Alabama just crept up another notch in the rankings, and Cincinnati is still on the outside looking in. Now, once again, either Alabama or Ohio State are going to have to lose here in their conference championships, or even before that, because, like I said, Auburn, they'll be hosting Alabama, and that's a game where it's going to be dangerous for the Crimson Tide. And the same for Ohio State. We already talked about what they got back-to-back here in the coming weeks. And that's not even including the Big Ten Championship, which you think, even if they make it that far, they're going to beat Wisconsin if they're going to be the last team standing in the Big Ten West division. Cincinnati really needs to have, in their wildest dreams, both Alabama and Ohio State to lose in order for them to be cemented as a team that's going to play in the college football playoff. Because other than that, it's going to be pretty much chalk. Georgia, you would think Alabama, especially if they win, Ohio State, Oregon. Oklahoma you can forget about. You figure one of these teams in the Big Ten, especially if Ohio State loses, they may sneak in, and who knows? Even with two losses, let's say if Michigan State, Michigan, and again, even Ohio State, are they going to make it? Probably not. There's probably going to be another team that's going to, and I don't even know, could you even throw Oklahoma in there? This is what's going to be fascinating here, and this week... 
you can't expect much. I understand Michigan State, Ohio State, that's going to be the game because it's pretty much going to do one of those two teams. But let's get to after Thanksgiving to really take a lay at the college football land to see where this is going to unfold and how this is going to shape up because right now it's pretty much put your name in a hat, pull it out, and that guess is going to be as good as mine. So college football is going to be very intriguing here. And it starts with that game at noon in Columbus. And we'll take a look at it next week as to how the college football playoff as we're, guess what, six weeks away from New Year's Eve. It'll be here before you know it. So we'll start counting that down after another week of college football this coming weekend. All right, let me turn my attention to the association. And it's been a quiet week. We understand that the season is pretty much getting underway. Teams have played anywhere between 12 to 14 games. And what we've seen so far is the dominance of Golden State. And they've been an absolute surprise in my eyes because I didn't think that they were going to get off to this torrid start. Now, they've cooled off a little bit, losing to Charlotte yesterday. But to start off their season 11-1, and and they actually play Brooklyn tomorrow right here pretty much in my backyard. So that's going to be an interesting early season matchup just to see a measure one another, a measuring stick for both teams. But so far, there really isn't anything that I could get into. Am I going to talk about the Wizards 9-3 and start, which that's been a surprise? And some of the other teams, even the Cavaliers at 9-5. and We talked about the... East a couple of weeks ago, how you've had surprise starts from a lot of these teams that were unexpected, and it was a situation where the conference was flipped upside down, where the Bucks, also the Celtics, although you don't expect much from them, even the Sixers, who have hit the skids here a little bit, where they've had Joel Embiid out of the lineup because of COVID, and not only that, but even the Heat have stubbed their toe. Again, it's way too early to even get into a lot of these storylines with some of these teams. And it's not to say that they're going to come back to the pack or call them falling back to the planet Earth, whether you are the Wizards, whether you are some of these teams that have come out, especially in the East. Because in the West, it's pretty much status quo. I know the Lakers, they're still trying to get their footing, even with LeBron out. But with the surprise of Golden State, and again, they've shocked me, their number is 48.5. I picked them as an under. I tried to be different. I just thought that with Klay Thompson, even with him coming back, but with Steph Curry having to carry the load, Andrew Wiggins is a guy that's hot and cold, in and out, up and down. I didn't think there was going to be enough firepower there, but Curry is by far the early season MVP. But with teams like Phoenix and Denver, uh, even the Clippers, who have played a little bit better of late, although they lost the other day, but those are teams that you're going to expect there at the end, where in the East, again, the Washingtons of the world, the Clevelands of the world, even Charlotte, they've come back to the pack. But not much there to discuss here early on in this NBA season. Now, we could talk about what happened there between Nikola Jokic, who got a one-game suspension for pretty much blindsiding Markeith Morris. And I understand he took to chagrin of a little Morris tactic where he fouled him, and then after the play, he just pretty much pushed him from behind with his shoulder, and he went falling to the court. Now, after the game, Jokic saw the play, and he was upset by it. He was embarrassed. He's unacceptable said all the right things, he was contrite, and I don't know if he reached out to Markeith Morris to apologize to him, but then the Jokic brothers 
had to start a Twitter feud with the Morris brothers. As you know, his brother Marcus, they're both twins, to where pretty much what the Jokic brothers says that, oh yeah, if we see you, we're going to come find you, and making all these stupid threats, the keyboard warrior mentality, and it's just downright awful. I'm sure Jokic, probably even after that, had to reach out to them to say, listen, I'm not looking for any beef. This was a scenario where he lost his cool, and he did what he did, and was sorry for it. I don't even think he apologized in the postgame, but he realized what he did was wrong. And Denver, they do have to go to Miami later this year, so who knows if there's going to be any lead-up to that, if there's going to be a firestorm brewing to that day, if the Jokic brothers are going to fly in for that game, I, who knows? I mean, that's just WWE stuff. Hopefully it doesn't lead to anything down the road, but that's something that we may have to keep an eye out for, for when those two teams match up. And then you had an executive from the Portland Trailblazers step down because of accusations years ago, and sadly, this is what's happening in the world today, and for the cancel culture people, I know they're sick and tired of it, oh, what can these people do, blah, blah, blah. Listen, if this guy came to the forefront and stepped down because of some dirt that he had in the past where he either knew was going to come out in the rinse, uh, kudos to him. So, and I don't know too much about it. I just read something about it in the middle of the week. And against the Trailblazers, if there's going to be more stuff that's going to be released or revealed over the coming days and weeks, obviously I'll get into that. But it's just another story that we've seen time after time, whether we talked about last week with the Phoenix Suns and Robert Sarver and that investigation. We've talked about the Washington football team and another sport. Even the Dallas Mavericks years ago, if you recall, with the climate and the culture that was down in Big D. Uh, Listen, unfortunately, it's being brought to the light now, and I'm glad that that's the case. And I'm far from the morality police people, but at the same time, you you can't have this type of behavior going on in these big-time corporations. And these are leagues we're talking about. This isn't some mom-and-pop shop, and it shouldn't even happen then either. And I'm not trying to condone or not trying to be an apologist or give any organization a pass, whether you're a mom-and-pop shop or a Fortune 500 company. But when these stories are coming out to light and they need to be brought to the surface, that's just the world we live in in 2021. And it's not about being sensitive, and it's not about being, oh, geez, here we go again, we got to bring this up, can anybody live? So, No. We're trying to do what's right here. And isn't that what everybody wants at the end of the day? That's the point. So without getting deep into that, but the NBA again, I can't even get into anything else besides that. The teams that were going to be bad are going to be bad. Whether you're the Pelicans, the Rockets, Orlando, Detroit, the Hawks have got off to a very bad start. If there's any surprise, it's them. Maybe even the Bucks at six and eight. You want to say a little bit of a hangover? And I believe the Lakers come to town this week, if I'm not mistaken. I think they're going to play one another. Maybe it's the following week during Thanksgiving week. In fact, it's actually next Tuesday they play because they'll play the Celtics Friday. That's why I remember. So you're going to have Lakers-Celtics. Who knows if LeBron's going to be back. But that's pretty much your NBA people. And quickly with college basketball. That's right. College basketball tipped off. You have two early storylines. We all know about Mike Krzyzewski, his final go-around his bon voyage throughout the sport, and we all know that he's a guy who does not like to talk about himself. He's a guy that just wants to remain about the team. He wants to go out as champion. You know that the players, the 
school, etc., is going to do whatever it takes to try to put them in a position. And what we saw against the Kentucky game, in just one game, I know a lot of people are thinking, oh boy, this is going to be Duke's year. Let's pipe down with that, people. I know it's against Kentucky. It's not a vintage Kentucky team, but you must have liked what you saw if you're a Blue Devil fan or even a college basketball fan. But let's pump the brakes on this team's going to go to a Final Four or this team has championship aspirations. We all know that's the standard at Duke. We also understand that this is Coach K's last year. So a lot of the sentiment is going to be rallied around what his team's going to do in this final year, hopefully to have him go off into the sunset with a championship. But let's just chill with any talk about them cutting down the nets as the last team standing come March Madness. Can we just chill with that, please? That, and you also have Gonzaga already 2-0 to start off their year. And with everything that happened, not only in the offseason with their coach Mark Few, but them falling Way short, losing to Baylor in a national title game. You know that it's going to be title or bust for the Bulldogs there in the Pacific Northwest. So you had those two schools be at the forefront here to kick off this college basketball season. And temporarily, we'll go back and forth and we'll certainly take a pulse of what's going on there. But as we all know, college basketball, it all boils down to the conference championship games. That's the appetizer that leads to the main course to what is March Madness. And that's it. I bring it up now because it's already on the way. Remember in years past, there was always that Thanksgiving weekend, Midnight Madness, a lot of the teams with the tournaments, whether in Hawaii or throughout the country. But no, as you see, it's already begun. And Thanksgiving is still a week and a half from now. So every now and then we'll check in on college basketball, but I figured I'd get a little fix for those who are out there, want to get a little morsel of what's happening on the college basketball circuit. So there you go with that. And as far as what's happening on the ice, Alexander Ovechkin continues to go up the scoring charts as he's now surpassed Brett Hall. I believe he's now, what, third all-time or fourth all-time because I think Jeremy Yager is next. What is Yager at? 766. And that's off the top of my head because I know he passed Marcel Dion and now he just passed... Brett Hull, so I believe he is fourth all-time behind Yager, Gordie Howe, and the great one, Wayne Gretzky. I know a lot of the talk at the beginning of the year was, oh, the Gretzky chase as far as 894 all-time in NHL history. He still has a couple more years to break that, and I'm sure he's going to play until the wheels fall off, and we know that Ovechkin, he's a physical specimen. If it wasn't for COVID, he would be that much closer. He'd probably be at 800 or if not close to it, maybe even past that. But he has a lot of catching up to do in that regard. But he's a machine. You would think he's going to do whatever it takes to keep his body healthy and keep his body ready to get close and break the all-time goal-scoring record for a career. But that's for down the road. You also had Sidney Crosby returning from COVID in a loss to the Capitals here. So let's see what Sid the Kid, as he gets to the twilight of his career, and we've talked about him time after time with him, and of course, Alex Ovechkin being the two guys that came into the league at the same time, and now, even though Ovechkin doesn't seem to be slowing down, but Crosby with the injuries, COVID, and not only that, but also their team, always in the running, and although they have the championship medal, but we all know that that bloom is off the rose a little bit, considering their performances over the first round here in the last few years when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs. But you always have to 
keep them at the front of your memory because when you have a guy who's won three Stanley Cups and even maybe right now long in the tooth as far as his career goes, you always cannot count them out and they could always be a threat at any given time. So you have to give them their just due. Although I think that that window, if it's not closed, it is about a centimeter from closing. And we still haven't seen the likes of Evgeny Malkin as of yet. But when we take a look around the league, as an Islander fan, you're going to rejoice because finally they'll get to open the UBS Arena this coming Saturday against the Calgary Flames of all teams. No, not a division rival. It's not the Rangers. It's not the Devils. It's not the Penguins. It's not even the Tampa Bay Lightning. It is the Calgary Flames. So we'll get to see the UBS Arena in its full curtain raised, sparkling, brand spanking new. Can't wait to see that. Not that I'm going to the game, but I'm hoping at some point in the weeks to come to get a chance to check that arena and put that on my list of stadiums or arenas that I visited. But right now, when we look at the scope and the landscape that is the National Hockey League, Panthers have finally hit the skids a little bit. Remember, they were undefeated for so long, but now they've lost four in a row with a bunch of overtime losses, including some regulation losses in the middle. And with the Maple Leafs playing well, they've inched closer to the top of the Atlantic there. In the Metropolitan, you had Carolina finally also losing. They had a long winning streak to start their year, but they've played very well, although the Capitals have tied them at the top of the Metropolitan Division. Rangers have played very well, as you know, and the Islanders still trying to get their footing here. Now, again, they've played 11 games. A lot of the teams in the division have played 13, 14, even 15 games if you're the Capitals and Rangers. But, of course, they had to spread these 13 road games for the Islanders. But they'll get some home cooking finally. They have not played well here. They got shut out by the Devils the other day and have lost two in a row as they enter their final week of playing road games before they do open their building on Saturday night. And then out west, Minnesota has played very well. They are only a point ahead of both Winnipeg and Nashville. At the top of the Central, you also want to throw in the Blues there, where everybody else, Colorado, and Nathan McKinnon, who's going to be out with a lower body injury for the next three weeks, their top scorer. But Colorado has been very disappointing to start off. A lot of people thought that they were going to be a Stanley Cup finalist. And again, still plenty of hockey to be played, but they have really gotten off to a very slow start. In the West, same for Vegas, who has actually played a little bit better here. They've won three in a row in the Pacific. But Edmonton leads that division by a point over Anaheim. We know Calgary has played well. And Anaheim has been a surprise here, winning seven straight. So you wonder if Anaheim is going to be a threat there, not only in the Pacific, but the West overall. So we got that to look at. The Kraken, they're playing like an expansion team to where you thought maybe they'll be somewhat close to a Vegas Golden Knight team to where they'll be competitive. Maybe a fringe playoff team, maybe a team that could be In the mix out west, well, right now they're not showing that. And who knows if they're going to be part of the discussion later on as we get deeper into this NHL season. Maybe coming out as an eight seed in the west. Right now it's not looking good, but we'll keep our eyes on that. And any other surprises that we've seen here so far? Yeah, I can't say the Penguins. Yeah, the Bruins are pretty much where they're at. Montreal, no surprise. And I get it. They went to a cup last year, but nobody expected them to be of any shock or to be a threat in the Eastern Conference in the Atlantic. And as it is, their franchise goalie, Carey Price, 
is sitting out indefinitely as he entered a substance abuse program. Not only that, to also check on his mental health issues as he's going through both of those stages right now. And that was voluntarily on his part, so kudos to him for doing that, knowing that he wasn't going to be a part of the team or at least a benefit, knowing that he needed to take a break, he needed to step away. So by him doing that as he works on himself through whatever substance abuse and mental health issues that he has, we just wish him the best and hopefully a speedy recovery to him, whether we see him later on this year. Obviously that remains to be seen, but uh, tough times not only for the Canadians but also for their goalies. So let's uh, send a shout out and a prayer to a one Carey Price. And other than that, people, it has been a quiet sports week because generally I will babble on, generally I will go ahead and get deeper into other issues that is happening in the world of sports or just in some of these leagues, whether it is the NBA or even the NHL, but I don't have much. That is pretty much it. So believe it or not, in almost a tidy hour, I'm going to cut right to it, people. Here is my hero and zero of the week. I'll start off, my hero of the week goes out to legendary New York football giant linebacker Sam Huff who passed away at the age of 87 as we all know way before Lawrence Taylor, Harry Carson, Carl Banks, even Brad Van Pelt if you want to talk about those meddling giant teams of the late 70s into the 80s Brian Kelly guys like that Sam Huff was part of those 50s Giants teams going back to Frank Gifford and was the heart and soul of that defense. An all-pro, Hall of Famer, again, passes at the age of 87. Thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Huff family as we lose another legend in the world of sport, in this particular case, the NFL. And my zero of the week goes out to former first-round pick of the Las Vegas Raiders, Damon Arnett, after a video surfaced of him making death threats while carrying a firearm and for everything that the Raiders have gone through, whether it's John Gruden, whether it's Henry Ruggs, and now Damon Arnett to where Mike Mayock, the general manager, even knew as painful as a decision as it was and knowing that this kid had issues and it was a high-risk, high-reward pick, but he felt that the talent was more than the character, well, look what happened. For this kid to go out there and to threaten folks and come out with a gun, and it just reeks everything that's gone wrong with the NFL this year, as I've said, and I know I'm beating it to a drum at this point. But for him to do that in light of what took place and what's happened, and I get it. Mayock was apologetic. He knew what he was getting himself into. And for another first-round pick, Ruggs and Arnett to be off the team, Pretty much 370 or 400 days later after the start of the 2020 season. Just an absolute disgrace. What more can you say? And to my guy, Sean Santiago, I feel for you. And even my guy, D-Rock, David. And I'll even give a shout out to Jasmine Raider Nation. I'm sure you're hanging your heads. And especially after that loss to Kansas City last night. What more can you say? But unfortunately, Damon Arnett, you are my zero of the week. And that'll do it, my good people. Episode 224, just about in the books. Thank you, as always, for downloading 
and taking an opportunity to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. I do not take your participation lightly, and I certainly don't take it for granted. I know there are many platforms. I know there are many outlets that you get your sports from, from people that obviously that are a lot more famous than I am, but guess what? I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to continue to bring the pain each and every week on everything that's happening in the world of sports, as you well know. And as I said at the very top, and I'll say now, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast because all that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast so I can bring on guests, which I'm hoping to do in the coming weeks before the end of the year. So please, throw me a few stars, write a review, get the word out there, screenshot it, post it on social media, share it with me, you name it. I would sincerely and greatly appreciate it. Speaking of social media, you could hit me up with a question, comment, criticism, praise, DM me, send me an email at the following. J Reels or the J Reels Podcast on Instagram. J Reels 1, just a number on Twitter. The J Reels Podcast on my Facebook fan page. And the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please send them my way. I'll be sure to follow up with you. And then last but not least, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, please do so by going to www.patreon.com. Slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, a dollar, five bucks, ten bucks. If you're feeling generous as we get closer to the holiday season, please, people, I come at you with my hands at the prayer symbol because all that's going to do 100% is going to put toward the website, the production, the equipment. Of what it is that I do each and every week. As you all know, I'm an independent entity. I do not have a marketing team. I don't have assistants. I don't have people helping me with this. And I'm doing this until the good Lord takes me. And I hope that's not for another 52 years. So as you may or may not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. My passion. This is what I want to do 24-7, 365 or in some years, 366 days to share my thoughts my opinions, my analysis, to be zany, goofy, comical, angry. You heard it pretty much throughout the whole beginning of this podcast as I criticize the NFL. And not only that, but everything that's happening on the world of the diamond, the ice, the hardwood, the gridiron, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon, boxing ring, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. The South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.